You may be seated. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, so glad you are here in the house, and I want to give a welcome to all those that are online, especially those uh, from all over the world we're learning. People joining us here at 930, uh, Alaska, uh, some folks even from Africa. We even had someone from Great Britain join us, and then, of course, all over these great United States. We are humbled that you allow us to be a part of your worship gathering here. And those in the house, uh, man, is it good to see you. Is it so good to be with you uh, this morning? Uh, you learn a lot on these kind of weekends, and it's, it's great to see you. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to find the book of Philippians. That's where we're going, book of Philippians. Uh, we are wrapping up this week in a message series we are calling uh, The Happy Life. Uh, we've been kind of working through this passage by the Apostle Paul to the church of, of Philippi. And we're going to read a passage, one more passage from this before we go into something new. This coming Wednesday, we'll start a new uh, kind of series, actually on Wednesday, not on just on the weekend. We're calling it Life-Changing Words. And so we're going to give you one word on Wednesday, on Ash Wednesday, and then every week we're going to give you one word that's going to help all of us just kind of grow in our relationship with Christ as we're working to the cross, toward the cross in the empty tomb. But before we open it, let's, uh, let's pray together. God, on this beautiful day, we rejoice because this is the day that you have made, and we are glad in it, God. Thank you, thank you, thank you uh, for the seasons, the changing seasons. Uh, for summer and winter, God, for when it's blazing hot and when it's really cold, uh, for those fall days and spring days where we just kind of kind of bask and enjoy just the beauty of the changing of seasons. But God, we are thankful that, that you are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And that when life changes and life seems so uncertain, we can count on you. And we don't know what to do, God. We can turn to you and we can turn to your word. And so we do that right now, God. Uh, many are gathered in their homes. We have people in the house, God. We got people down at True Worth who just came out of the bitter cold. They spent the night, God, under a bridge. And now they come in here, God, into your place of worship to, to hear a word of hope and encouragement from you, God. All of us, God, speak to us. Teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, chapter 2 of Philippians going to look at one verse primarily this morning, uh, verse 14. Uh, here it comes. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. That's it. Pretty short, pretty simple, to the point. Let me read it again. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. So my first question is for you is uh, how are you doing with that this morning? Have you already blown it? Did any of you who came to worship on site this morning, did you already have a little complaining and arguing? And even those of you at home, yeah, we should go. No, we're not going to go. We're going to get up. We're going to be, you know, all that sort of, how are you doing with no complaining or arguing? Let me say it again. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. I want to reflect on this first. Take it apart for a second. The first thing I want you to notice is the word everything. Everything. And the first question I've got to ask, do you think Paul really meant everything? Do you think he was serious about do everything without grumbling? Maybe he really meant to say, hey, there are some things you can do, but he just he didn't get it out quick enough. And so he wrote down everything. Did he really mean everything? What would it be like for you? Think about it. What would it be like for you to declare tomorrow, because you've already probably blown it today, right? Let's kind of agree. You've already probably blown it today. Now, you declare tomorrow, Monday, as a grumble-free day. No grumbling all day long. In fact, some of you men, whether you're watching online or you're in the house uh, down there at True Worth, if you forgot to get something for Valentine's Day, today is Valentine's Day, did you know? Today is Valentine's Day. Here's a little gift you can give that special person. Tell them, I'm not going to grumble or complain about anything today. What a gift that would be. Just think about it. No grumbling or arguing today. So I'm going to ask you all, everybody to make a commitment. Tomorrow morning when you wake up, when the alarm goes off tomorrow morning, and you start your Monday, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, the commitment is I'm asking you to make tomorrow no grumbling, no arguing day. We got a deal? Everybody, we got a deal? Online, we got a deal? I don't care what the situation is. When you wake up in the morning and the alarm goes off 
And the first person you look at, no grumbling. When you look in the mirror, no matter how bad it looks when you look in the mirror, and you know what I'm talking about, <laughs> no grumbling, no complaining. When you get in your car to go somewhere, wherever you're going, maybe it's bank, maybe it's work, whatever everybody else is doing, none of that stuff. None of it. Whatever you eat, when you get on the scales, whatever the numbers say, whatever the numbers say, when you step on the scales, when, when you get to where you got to go and what you got to be, when your Monday does not turn out like you had it planned, and I want to promise you something right there, your Monday tomorrow will not go as planned. When you come across somebody that's cranky, when you boot up your computer, and because of the weather or whatever, it's 20 seconds slow. It takes 20 seconds longer for it to fire up and to get going. Oh, heaven forbid, how awful. you got to wait 20 seconds till you have access to unlimited knowledge in the world. That is so terrible. Do everything, like Paul says, without grumbling. Just don't grumble. Don't grumble. When your cell phone coverage is spotty, and you don't have instant access to almost every human being on the planet. How terrible that for a few minutes, you just can't contact everybody. No grumbling. And when you can't find the remote control after a while to the television, and you look everywhere for it, and you're thinking, those darn kids. Or you're thinking, those darn grandkids. Or that darn cat, because you know a dog wouldn't do it, but a cat would. You know, you go, what, the remote control. Where is the remote control? And you have to get up. God forbid, poor little you, get up and walk all the way to that television set, like in the olden days. You have to get up and walk and actually turn it on manually. And then, heaven forbid, you got to walk back five, four miles to your lazy boy recliner and sit back and watch your 4HD smart TV. Oh, how terrible. No grumbling. No arguing. No complaining. How, how, how much more clear does the Paul have to be? Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Now, let's look at this a little bit closer. Not just everything. What about grumbling? It's a pretty interesting word. What does it mean to grumble? What does it mean not to grumble? Here is what grumbling doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that you never have a hard conversation with someone. It doesn't mean you never confront someone. It doesn't mean you never admonish someone. You can confront someone and admonish someone and do it in love and not in a grumbling, hateful spirit. Sometimes right, wrongs need to be made right. Sometimes injustice has to be met head on. That is not what it's saying at all. But here's what he is saying. First thing in your notes, if you're taking notes, grumbling is different than that. Here's what grumbling is. Number one in your notes, grumbling is a spirit of ingratitude, and ingratitude is a sin. That's grumbling. Grumbling is a way that I rationalize my disobedience to God. Grumbling clouds my vision. Grumbling chokes my heart. Grumbling cuts me off from joy-filled people. And as it turns out, in my community, especially in your marriage, please hear this, in your marriage, in your parenting, could be in your church or in your small group, grumbling is toxic. Grumbling is a cancer that just eats away and erodes over time. If there's one person in the relationship on this Valentine that's always grumbling, that's always nitpicky, always it just slowly erodes the core of the relationship. And the Scripture says very clearly that grumbling is a sin. In the Old Testament, I find very interesting in the book of Numbers, the Hebrew people, 11 times, 11 times after God had delivered them from bondage, after God had delivered them from slavery, 11 times they're guilty of grumbling. Instead of saying, thank you, God, that you delivered us from the Egyptians, instead of saying, thank you, God, that we no longer just kind of be like slaves, we're having to rush the threshing store just over and over, instead of saying, thank you, God, the Scripture says 11 times they grumbled about the food they had to eat 
and about the comfort of the circumstances and conditions in which they live. God, God takes grumbling pretty seriously. Over here in Romans uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 21, Paul writes this. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Anytime your thinking becomes futile, we put it another way, anytime you get stinking thinking, anytime your heart, your foolish heart is darkened, you start to grumble. You start to complain and argue. You're not a happy, joy-filled person. Over here in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, the Apostle Paul gives a similar warning to the church at Corinth and reminds them about the Israelites over in, in Numbers. He says, verse 10, and do not grumble as some of them did, those who followed Moses out of Egypt. Look at this next verse. And they were killed by the destroying angel. Hey, you think that might stop your kids from grumbling? You tell them, hey, listen, the destroying angel is going to show up if you keep on grumbling and complaining and arguing all of the time. Now, one other thing about this, this is very super important, this idea about grumbling. He is not saying it is okay for you and me to on the inside be this critical, negative, chronically angry, toxic person, just don't grumble on the outside. That's not what he's saying. He's actually saying the only way to be someone who doesn't grumble is to have a grateful heart. Gratitude is more than you just being just good and little getting a Valentine card and just Hallmark card and saying, hey, I'm grateful for you. Hey, hey, I'm grateful for you. Number two in your notes, gratitude is my humble response to the generosity of God in others. Number two, gratitude is my humble response to the generosity of God in others. Gratitude. It's when I get humble enough to acknowledge I owe a debt to God that I can never pay off. It's when I get humble enough to recognize I owe a debt to other human beings that I cannot ever pay back. I do. It is this understanding that I'm going to be so humble that I'm going to have this fierce appreciation every day for the gift of life. And I'm going to be generous to God, and I'm going to be generous to other people because they have been generous to me. Now, here's what I know. Everybody wants to be grateful. Nobody wants to be an ungrate. Nobody does. But you see, we have this problem when it comes to gratitude. We have this problem. Is that most of us here in the room, we just kind of think, you know, I would be more grateful if things in my life turned out okay. If things were easier, if, if God would do what I want, if God would give me what I need and what I, what I asked for, all my prayers were answered the way I wanted to, I would be more grateful. In fact, I would increase in gratification if I was gratified more by God, that if my circumstance was lined up, he'd do everything the way that I want. Now, I, I got a question for parents, online or in the house. Here's my question for you. What happens to a kid when you give them every single thing that they want? You just go to your kid and say, listen, I just want you to be grateful. And so, because I, I just think for you to be grateful, you just tell me what you want. You tell me what your desires are. And I don't care what they are. I'm going to do it. I'm going to make sure you are grateful because I'm going to increase your gratification. What happens when you do that with a kid? What happens? Somebody tell me entitled and spoiled, rotten, rotten. What do you do with spoiled fruit? What do you do with spoiled vegetables? What do you do with them? You throw them away. How dare us to think that God on the throne... The only thing he has is to meet our every whim and to take off so we can be grateful. We think that gratitude is a byproduct of all my circumstances being perfect. But that's not the way it works out. Over in Philippians, I'm going to read on the same passage again, Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to read on. I'm going to go back and start with the verse that we had there, if I can get to it. Here we go, chapter 2, verse 14. Let's read further. 
So he says, okay, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that, two little words, very important, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. And your notes, next thing, number three, gratitude is about the person I am becoming. Hey, listen, gratitude is not about your circumstances being perfect. Gratitude is not about you getting everything you want. It's about you not grumbling. It's about you not arguing because when you do that, you become like a star in the sky in the universe that points to the goodness and the greatness of God regardless of what is going on in your life. Life. Be like a star. Be, 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 like, be a star in the universe. Now, as we get toward the end of, of this little letter, chapter 4, uh, Paul is going to say something else uh, to the people of Philippi. If you have your scriptures there, look at 4, verse 10. I'm going to read verse 10. I'm going to read something else, kind of teach us something different about this thing called gratitude and grumbling. He says, uh, verse 10, chapter 4, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Now, why does he write that? I rejoice because you're concerned. Paul was in need, and they sent him some money. He was struggling. They worked together. They got a little pocket of money, and they sent him to him. This whole letter, four chapters, it is nothing but a thank you note. That's all it is. Four chapters, it's a thank you note. Here's what I know about joy-filled people. Joy-filled people write lots of thank you notes. When's the last thank you note you wrote? That will give you, an, I'm not talking about text. I'm not talking about an email. I'm talking about actually a handwritten thank you note. It reveals our heart. It reveals where we are. And then he goes on to say something to them. Uh, he's not going to take, he's going to take advantage of a teachable moment. He doesn't want to pass up a teachable moment. And so he says in verse 11, now I'm not saying this, all this stuff here, because I'm in need. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, then that infamous verse 13, I can do all this, all things, through him, through Christ, who gives me strength. In other words, gratitude and contentment, it's not about my circumstances being perfect. It's not about God giving me all that I want. In your notes, gratitude is the learned skill of being content. See, gratitude reflects my spirit of whether I'm content or whether I'm discontent. Contentment, the scripture says, is a learned skill. Contentment is a mindset. I have learned the secret of being content. So let me ask you, how content are you? Are you learning the secret of being content? with whatever you have. See, here is the gratitude paradox. In reality, the people who have the least, people who live in circumstances of great need, are usually the most content and the most grateful. And the people who have the most are the least grateful. Their cup overflows. I mean, they just cup overflows. It doesn't make sense. But they are actually the least grateful. And they grumble more than others. There was this man by the name of Sean Archer. He is a Harvard happiness research guru. He did all this research about happiness. We've been talking about the happy life. And he goes to South Africa to a little township called Soweto to share with his school. He was asked to go share what he had learned. 
So he goes down there. He's at this school. It's a very impoverished school. They have no electricity. They barely have any running water. And he walks in there to talk to them about happiness, all these high school students. And he's thinking, how am I going to connect with them? If I talk about my Harvard students in this impoverished third world, truly third world little country, they're not going to connect very well. So here's what he does. I'm going to connect with the universal language that all high school students can relate to, and that is their dislike for homework, their dislike for schoolwork. And so he begins like this. Hey, I want to know, it's a rhetorical question, how many of you love doing homework or schoolwork? 99% of all the hands went up, oh, 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 I love it, I love it. He went, oh, because he just knew that none were going to raise their hands. And instantly he, he, he thought of something. His Harvard students, the elite of the elite, the best of the best, the cream of the crop, the high point, the brainchilds of their generation, they see the tests, the pressure, the exams, the research as something to endure and just push through, something they have to do, and they hate it. And then you have these students in South Africa who don't even know if they will live to age 20, not have enough nutrition even to know if they have a good solid meal. They're going, I love school. I love to read. I love to learn. I love to discover. I love to write papers. I love to be tested to find out how I measure how well I'm doing. I mean, I just love knowing that I got doors that are open up for me that my parents never would have dreamed of being on. My parents who were dead because of the impoverishment, they would be amazed that I would be having a chance because I'm going to school. Yes, me, 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 me. I love school. I love it, love it, love it. Me, 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 I love it. Interesting. People with great opportunity in school, best of the best, cream of the crop, ungrateful. Folks barely learning to read and write. Extremely grateful. One group grumbling. One group thankful. Do everything without grumbling. There was a little research done by a group of people that called it Soul Pulse, S-O-U-L-P-U-L-S-E. They polled 2,000 people asking questions about their happiness and their joy. Here's a few results. Here's five little quickly pieces of results uh, from this research. People who are older are more grateful than younger kids. In fact, they said the older you get, the more grateful you get. The more you lose your hair, the more gray you get, the more wrinkles you get. The more your vision doesn't work and you can't hear as well. The scriptures say, and the research says, people get a little more grateful. I am, my body doesn't work as well, right? It doesn't function as well, but I'm more grateful. And they have found that it's in the decade of the 70s that people actually at the highest point of being grateful for life and grateful to God for everything in their life. Here's another piece of information. This is not something I particularly say that I, I'm buying into, but it says people who stop going to school after high school experience more gratitude than those who go on to college and upper graduate degrees. I'm just going to leave it at that. Then it says people who make less money are more grateful than people who make more money. Has anybody ever said here, if I make less money, I'd be more happy? No. We've never said that. But people experience the least amount of gratitude when they're at work or on the computer. Anybody agree with that? All the Zoom meetings you've been having to have, always on Zoom. Oh, I just hate these Zoom meetings. Grumble, grumble, grumble. I'm so sick and tired of just seeing, doing everything on the computer all the time. And then the last piece of information is that people who experience the most amount of gratitude, it happens when they're exercising, when they're playing, or when they're praying. Now, here's the lesson takeaway from this. If you want to have an increase in gratitude, they're, they're saying just stop working 
and stop making money, and you'll be happy forever. That's what they're saying, right? I can see right now there's going to be some kids say, uh, Pastor Rick said, I don't have to go to school tomorrow. Uh, I don't have to get a job. Hey, my pastor said, I don't have to show up for work tomorrow. That's not what I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying. How about change your perspective in receiving your job as a gift? Of going to school as a gift. There are some children all around the world who would love to have the educational opportunities that we have right here in the United States of America. And there are people right now, because of COVID or other reasons, the economy, they don't have a job. They can barely put a roof over their head. And if somebody would call them tomorrow and say, listen, show up for work. I got a job for you right now. They would be grateful. They would not grumble at all. They would just say, I'm just grateful. I have a job and I can work. What about? Instead of grumbling, we change our perspective and learn to be content and be grateful with the work that we have. One of my friends that works at Sprouts, uh, she just works for the bare minimum. And she's physically and a little emotionally challenged. She prays in her car before she goes in. And she says, God, I thank you for my job. And that I kind of create a little spiritual community around the deli for everybody who comes in. Just learn to be grateful for your work. Now, before we kind of get too much further, I want to tell you, God has convicted me of a sin in my life. And it's something I just really kind of point out, and I kind of shared this before, and it's the sin of impatience. Because when I get impatient, and I can, I lose a grateful heart because when I'm impatient, I start grumbling. Anybody like me? Anybody like me? When, when you get impatient, you start grumbling. I've learned that about me. So I've got to go into a local store here in town, uh, one of our local grocery stores. And I go into the local grocery store to get one item. That's it, just one item. I'm going in and I'm getting out less than three minutes, right? I got a plan. I know where it is. I'm going to get it and I get out. It's if every cash register is full, every line is full, and there's no self-checkout. So I got to go get in line, and the lines are long. And I will tell you that when I get in a line, I generally do not have a grateful and a happy spirit. I usually grumble. I'm not good. I'm, it's just a weak point of mine. And I don't know if, you, if anybody, you like this, that when I go to a store often, I study the lines and I study the checkers to find out who are the quickest and who are the fastest. And you just kind of figure that out, right? You just kind of know. And I actually study the people that are in line, the people that are organized, who have their groceries in their little bag in a structured way. Oh, I know. They have a plan. They're getting through. And those that are just kind of all over the place, you know, it's going to take them forever. And they're talking to them. They, they, they don't even move up in line. They're talking, right? Or they're on their phone or something. So, and then I get competitive. I see another line, somebody about in the same place as me, and I'm going to pick my line, and my good job, goal is to beat that person to line. And when they get there before me, I go, ah, I made a wrong decision. I start grumbling more. Am I the only one who does stuff like that when they go to stores or line? So I'm standing in line at this store, one item, in and out, except I'm not getting in and out, and the line's going slow. And I'm going, oh, come on, I got things to do. I got places to go. My time is running short. Don't you know I'm important? I got things I really got to get done. Stuff. I got stuff to do. And, I'm, and then I notice this guy in the other line who's in a wheelchair. And, you know, you see some people in a wheelchair that are lifers, and you see some people there that are going to be in and out pretty quick. You can kind of tell a temporary injury. This person was a lifer. And the biggest thing they had control over was their head. And his face had a huge smile upon it. And I looked at him and I thought, you know, I get up every morning and my body pretty much does whatever I want it to do. And if somehow God would touch him and he would stand up and be able to walk through that line, he couldn't be any more happy than he is right now sitting in that chair going through that line. And here I am grumbling when he is full of joy and we're doing the exact same thing. Which one do you think shined like a star in the sky in that moment? It wasn't me. It was him. I just got to stop here and say something. 
I want to really speak to those that are online. I know there are some of you, this is your life. You are living in a chronic situation of health. You have a child that is somehow uh, disabled of some kind. I know that politically, I know the right, even the right words to say. I'm so cautious about that. But your child has a challenge for their whole life, and you are their parent, or there's someone that you love. And I want you to know, when you do it with joy in your life and a smile on your face, you are like a star shining in the universe. And I am in awe of you because you teach us, you teach me how to be joyful in a very difficult, in a very challenging circumstance. And I'm going to stop right now, and I'm going to applaud, and I'm going to celebrate you for all the goodness of how you are as a star in the shine because you are getting it done. And I am all of you parents who have that responsibility uh, in your life. You are. One more story. I'm teaching at a conference in Ethiopia. And before every conference in Ethiopia, they uh, have worship. That's what they do. I'm, it's a leadership conference, and I'm walking in. I'm going to teach, and they're going to sing about, about 15 minutes. They told me three songs, and I'm going to get up, and I'm going to teach some leadership stuff. So I'm all prepared. We're in there, 2,000 people that are there. 15 minutes pass, 20 minutes pass, 30 minutes pass, 45 minutes, and they're still singing. And I'm going, they only told me we had an hour for this whole thing. And I, I was supposed to prepare all this time, and I'm going, what's happening here? Who can sing three songs for 45 minutes? And I found myself kind of grumbling, kind of worried, what, what's happening? I couldn't understand what they were singing. Every word sounded the same to me. I couldn't speak their language. I had an interpreter. And I guess he could tell I was getting a little antsy, like, what's happening here? Why is this taking so long? And so he leans over to me, and he says, hey, listen, I just want you to know, uh, these folks here, most of them, they passed a little bit churches out in the villages a lot of them live in fear of the Muslims coming and destroying and burning their churches down uh, many of them never been to a conference before never ever and I guarantee you <laughs> most of them have never been in a place like this with 2,000 people all singing praises to God and they're just glad to be here And so I look out at them. They got tears coming down their faces. Their hands are all lifted up to the sky. And they're just beaming, just smiling. And I asked him, what are they singing? Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks. And I was grumbling. They were giving thanks to God and singing praise and praise, and there I was with a grumbling spirit. How can it be, church? How can it be? Same job, same school, same worship service, same students. One group is grumbling and complaining. One group is giving thanks to God and praise. And why is that? Because when you and I, when you and I get entitled, like you said right there, Ryan, when we get entitled to think I deserve something, that it's my right, it's my privilege, I, it's my right to have it, we refuse to see it as a gift. And when you don't see things as a gift, you feel like you're entitled, and entitlement is a sin. Entitlement is destroys, it destroys this, this sense of gratitude. It just destroys it. For me to be grateful, i got to see everything that's done for me is a gift, and I'm indebted to you because of what you've done for me. As long as I think I'm entitled to it, I'll never be grateful. Ever. That if it's my right. One of the things I love about the people of Israel, and why I like to read in the Old Testament, the people of Israel... As a whole, they were just so thankful. They would just stop before a meal, and they would just not have a prayer at the beginning of the meal. They would eat something, have a prayer, eat something, have a prayer, before they ate the next thing. It was just a common thing. It wasn't just one prayer. Any, any of you, you sit down to have a prayer, and you say something like, oh, hey, God, rub-a-dub-dub, thank God for the grub, or something like that, right? Some little roll little something. Then you eat, and you don't even know what you just said. How many of us do that? But the people of Israel, 
They sit down for a meal. There's the bread. They go, God, man, let's just find the grapes. Go to the grapes first. Uh, God, th thank you for grapes. Blessed art thou, O God. Blessed art thou, O God, who thought up grapes. What a great idea, grapes. They're so delicious. Thank you, God. Then eat the grapes. Then they come to the bread. They say, God, God, thank you for this bread. Blessed art thou, O God, who thought up carb bread. Bread carbs, God. Bread carbs are awesome, God. I'm so grateful you are a carb-loving God. Thank you, God, for the bread. I love it, love it. And then they eat the bread. And they would have stopped and say, thank you. Rhubarb, God. Thank you, God. They never did that. They never said, thank you for rhubarb. No, no godly person says, thank you for rhubarb. Uh, nobody eats rhubarb as godly. I mean, it's not even in the Bible. It's after the fall. And it's not, so they didn't do that. But what they did do, what they did do, before they ate something, they would stop and say, God, blessed art thou, how wonderful you are. And, and some of the rabbis even got competitive in rain when it was raining. Instead of saying, God, thank you for the rain, Thank you, God, for every single drop. Thank you, God, for that drop, for that drop, for that drop, for that drop, for that. Thank you, God. Because they did not want to take it for granted that every drop is a gift from God. It's not anything that we deserve. It is nothing but gift. That's all it is, is gift, gift, gift. Gratitude always involves humility. It's the humility that I deserve nothing and that I owe you and I cannot pay you back. Anything you've done for me, I can't do it. All I can do is say grateful. But the problem is so many of us are not grateful. We're grateful on the inside, but we don't express it. Here's the fourth, five, fifth thing in your message notes. Unexpressed gratitude is experienced as ingratitude. That's very important. Remember the story of Luke chapter 17 of the 10 lepers? 10 lepers got healed. 10 lepers are in quarantine. They see Jesus, they get healed. How many of them go back? One. You think the other nine were grateful? They were grateful. If you were to go ask them, listen, well, are you grateful that he healed you? Are you grateful that you can go back to your family? You know, they would go, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm grateful. I'm grateful. But only one went back. And so the other nine, you just think they're ungrateful. Unexpressed <coughs> gratitude is received as ingratitude. That is true, especially in your marriage. Please listen. <coughs> Somebody in your family do something nice for you. They run an errand, they do a gift for you. If you don't say thank you, <coughs> if you don't express gratitude, it's experienced as ingratitude and disrespect and rejection. It just is. One, one, one came back. One came back and said, Yes, Jesus, I'm a Samaritan. You accepted me like one of your own. Jews hate people like me, but you accepted me for who I am, and you heal me. I just got to fall down and say, God, thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord, thank you. He said, the scripture, he filled his feet. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for all you've done. I am just grateful for you. And the question I have to ask you is this. Which one are you? Are you one of the nine? Oh, you're grateful, but you never tell God? Are you or the one? Are you the one who comes back and just says, God, just thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I owe you, God. I owe you, I owe you, I owe you, I owe you. Which one are you? Which one are you? Now, here's what we've learned. Number six, final thing you know is, I will experience more gratitude when I express more gratitude. It's amazing how it works. When you become a grateful person, all of a sudden, you increase in your measure of, of gratitude. It just kind of feeds off of each other. So I want to challenge you to be just intentionally more grateful, especially on this Valentine's Day weekend. I encourage you to do that. You can do that. You can do it before you leave. I'm going to read something here to you uh, that I wrote this past week. Sometimes I write my prayers down. Uh, this morning I wrote a thank you note to my wife. I do it every Sunday morning. 
If you're watching this morning, babe, again, I love you. I'm proud of who you are. Uh, before I leave, Dallas is usually still in bed when I leave, and I write her a little note every morning when I come to worship. But here is my prayer this past week. I wrote in my journal, uh, just to kind of give you an idea. God, good morning. Thank you for waking me. I want to start my day off with you. Thank you that the four walls of this room are not my casket. Thank you I have another day with 10 toes and 10 fingers. Thank you I have food in the kitchen. I have hot water in the shower. Thank you I have fresh clothes in the closet. I have a roof over my head when it's cold outside. Thank you that my body mostly works. <laughs> God, thank you for Texas weather. Hey, if you're worshiping online from another state, you can thank God for the weather in your state. And just really, you really can. I'm just telling you, it's not Texas. There's nothing like Texas weather. I mean, there's nothing like it. That's why we love it. But So come on, we'd love to have you join here. But thank you, God, for Texas weather. Thank you, God, for doctors, for nurses, for medicine like COVID vaccines. Thank you for teachers who taught me. Thank you, farmers who, who grow stuff. Thank you for ranchers who raise stuff. Thank you for people who fix things, who clean things, who write things. Thank you, God, for Pathway Church. Thank you for the Bible that I get to read and the woman I get to read it by. Thank you for the Spirit who guides me. Thank you for the cross that blesses me with mercy. Thank you for the staff and laity, God, I get to work with. God, thank you for the work that I get to do. It is so meaningful. And God, thank you that when my last days come and my eyes close, that Jesus will be with me. And my real life will begin then. Thank you, God. I have a promise and a hope that I didn't think up, and I don't deserve it. It's nothing but a gift. Thank you, God. Amen. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. I want every breath, I want every beat of my heart, every second of my life, that's my hope, is to see it as a gift and just be grateful all the time, regardless of the circumstances and what is going on in my life. And not just to God, but to people. The Apostle Paul began this whole letter as we end it. He said, I thank my God every time I remember you. So let me ask you on this Valentine's Day. Who do you need to say thank you to? Who do you say thank you to? You know, I was thinking about my wife and uh, how she gave life to three sons. And the labor, I was there for every one of them. And it made me start thinking about my mom. My mom not just gave me life, but my three sisters, but she cleaned my little hiney when I couldn't clean it myself. She put up with me. She chased me. She provided for me. She allowed her body to get stretched out and bruised and broken for me. She drove me around. She chauffeured me. She put up with my flack, and I gave her a lot of flack. She prayed for me. She taught me. She helped me with homework. She made sure I had opportunities. She made my clothes. She dressed me. And so, Mom, right now, you're watching right now at home. I just want to say, Mom, Thank you, Mom. There is a debt I owe to you, Mom. I can never, ever, ever, ever repay. And, Mom, I realize that, and I just want to say thank you. And I want to say to anybody here who can hear my voice, if your parents are still alive, your grandparents, an aunt or an uncle or someone who raised you, you call them. You text them. You tell them, thank you. Because they have given you something, and you can never pay the debt ever. And if you're married, you're at home, or you're in the house. If you're married on Valentine's Day, here's what you do. When you get in the car, if you're in the house, or we in worship, you're at home, get the kids aside. You look your beloved in the eye, and you put your hand upon their arm, and I just want you to say two words, 
thank you. And you're going to go, Pastor, if I do that now, they're not going to believe me. They're just going to say, you're doing that because Pastor Rick said to do it in the message, blah, 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 blah. Humble yourself. Get honest and do it anyway. And I promise you they'll receive it the right way. And after you say thank you, I'm leaving the rest up to you. If I need to tell you what's next, you just Google it, okay? I'm just trying to help you a little bit, guys. Just learn how to say thank you and stop talking. That's all I'm saying. And if you really still struggle with saying thank you, this table is a reminder. Maybe there's a teacher. Maybe there's a coach. Maybe there's somebody else you need to say thank you to and you don't know how to do it. And you still don't want to do it. Our Rabbi Jesus, before he came to this table, he teaches you and me something. If you're at home or in the house, you can get your elements ready. And I want you to think about this. This is his last meal, and he knows it's his last meal. He is uh, about to be betrayed, lied about. His friends are going to deny they know him. He's going to be flogged. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be stripped of all of his clothes. They're going to put him up on a cross. And he knows what they're going to do. That's some pretty rough circumstances. Would you agree? He doesn't grumble. He doesn't argue. You stand before a table. He takes the bread. He breaks it, and he gives what? Thanks. He takes a cup. He said, this is the, my blood poured out for you. And he gives thanks. If you want to learn how to be a grateful person, this man Jesus he can teach you. So he even saw the opportunity to serve the world as a gift. And he was grateful for the opportunity to be a blessing to other people. God, just use me. Just use me. To bless the other world. Just use me, God. That's my life. My life is not for me. It's to be used by you. Behold the body of Christ. Broken. For you. Behold the cup of life, the cup of salvation, his blood poured out, spilled for the forgiveness of our sins. And then he gave thanks. I want to invite you wherever you are at home, true worth, in the house, just to stop, be still, give. God, thanks. For the gift of life. How about for forgiveness? How about for being loved no matter what? Maybe you were healed from an addiction. Maybe you got a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance. Somebody just kept on, they kept on just saying, okay, come on, I believe in you. And maybe you thank God for that person who wouldn't quit on you when you felt like quitting. Maybe right now you want to thank God for your job. I know true worth. I know you're thankful for a warm place right now, for a sleeping bag with no holes in it. I know you're grateful. <laughs> just thank God for that gift of this right now. Just thank God.
so god we thank you for your goodness for who you are for your presence in our life and most of all god we thank you for jesus who gives us life on earth and beyond earth we don't deserve it all we can say is thank you i would invite you to take the bread if you're at home the cracker whatever you have there if you're in the house you open the little container it's kind of awkward now you can see for me it's kind of awkward behold the body of christ take and eat and give thanks while you're eating you don't deserve it behold the cup of life for the forgiveness of our sins take and drink and give thanks for his love and could we stand and sing together please we give thanks with our voices as we sing hallelujah up with our purpose statement will you please join me on the screens everyone in the house and at homes the purpose of pathway church is to glorify god and share the love and grace of jesus christ with as many people as we can and how shall we fulfill this purpose by ministering to spiritual emotional and physical needs by providing christian relationships and the family of god by providing a challenge for individual and collective spiritual growth this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. See you next week. Bye.